You're listening to Small But Mighty, the podcast of the Small Nonprofits Alliance, the online hub for Australia's small charities. Hello, everyone. I'm Bianca Crocker, the founder of the Small Nonprofits Alliance. And today in our Small But Mighty podcast, we are talking to Judy Bowden from the Lolly Jar Circus. And I'm so excited to have Judy with us today um, to learn a little bit more about what great work she's doing in the world and the exciting um, story of the Lolly Jar Circus. Hello, Judy. Hi, Bianca. Thanks for having me. No worries. Thanks so much for being here. Um, Judy, can we start by you um, telling us, obviously this is our Small But Mighty podcast, and we talk to a number of people from different um, charities working in small organisations. What does the term being small but mighty mean to you and your organisation? Actually, it's a perfect description of Lolly Jar Circus. I've often called us the little mouse that roared. Um, we can't get much smaller, really. Uh, we don't have an office. I have a laptop and a fine and I work from home and as you know from a few minutes ago I have to get my children to help me with technical issues like setting up Skype um, but uh, in terms of what we achieve it's great it's amazing um, we have wonderful trainers who bring out the best in the almost a hundred young people who attend our classes and our classes are inclusive of young people with disabilities or at social risk who all have their own individual stories. But our trainers are very sensitive to them and very adaptive and work with them to make their lives better, make them stronger, happier, more confident, help them make friends. So whilst we're small, our achievements are definitely mighty. That's fabulous. I love the little mouth that roars um, little phrase that you just said. That's beautiful. Um, And it ties in well, I guess, to the circus theme because I don't know why, but in my head I always think about there's, you know, like there's an elephant and then there's a mouse at a circus. And I know you don't even have animals at your circus and I know a lot of circuses don't even have animals anymore. But for some reason I get that little picture coming up in my head of a little circus mouse. Um, (laughs) So what would be your best piece of advice to help others on their journey of being small but mighty? Sure. Well, it would be the advice that I was given right at the beginning when all I had was an idea, and that is to write a business plan. Because no matter how passionate you are and and how important your idea might be, unless you can communicate it to others, it won't go anywhere. So when I was thinking about it, I went to talk to someone and he said, look, it's ambitious, But write it down, make a business plan, see how it goes. And then I could show that to other people who had experience in disability or gymnastics or circus, get their input, refine it, make it better, um, work with it in the future to make sure we were sticking to our initial goals but still developing. And the best thing really was it enabled me to make contact with them absolutely amazing board members um, to set up our first board and none of this could have happened without them. So definitely plan, plan, plan. Judy, that is a fabulous piece of advice. And myself personally, I'm a bit of a planner and, you know, have a to-do list and all those sorts of things. That's definitely my personality. But I do understand that um, for a lot of people working in um, non-profits, especially um, people like yourself who've actually are the visionaries behind the organisations and they've come up with the idea and they've founded their organisations, sometimes there's so much 
to do that there's not really time to do that planning, especially once things get underway. So that's a really um, poignant, I think, piece of advice um, because I think what you said about, you know, no matter how much passion you have, if you can't communicate what you do, um, you know, you aren't going to be able to get your message across to people, which I think is is really at the heart of, um, you know, the heart of successful organizations is really good storytelling and whether that's telling your story about the vision of what you want to do or the story of your beneficiaries and how you've helped people um, I think that's really important so that was a great piece of advice I think that you were um, given and you said you were given that um, at the very beginning so tell us about the very beginning when did you establish the lolly jar circus and and what's your role there and how has that developed Sure. So it started in 2013, but it had probably been brewing in my mind for three years before that. Um, so my kids went to Sir Kids, which is a circus school in Adelaide, and that's where I just fell in love with circus and all of its benefits. Um, but then when my youngest started school and I was a bit at a loss for things to do, I volunteered for the Special Olympics and the ideas kind of merged in my mind at the Special Olympics National Games in 2010 when I met all the athletes and I could see how amazingly skilled they were, with the, you know, their balance, their athleticism, their ball skills, all, all these amazing skills they had. And I was thinking, wow, they could be doing circus. So it, it brewed in my mind from then onwards. Um, and I guess I just eventually just couldn't resist it any longer so <laughs> I decided to put the two things together um, and make a, a circus school that was inclusive of people with disabilities and um, so that was 2013 and we were very small it was just a, a couple of classes in a church hall with big borrowed and homemade equipment um, <laughs> but it worked and um as it did work, then I was able to, um, you know, uh, apply for grants and, and have a little bit of evidence uh, behind them and get more equipment, which meant we could do more things and attracted more people. And it yeah. just kind of grew from there. Yeah, fabulous, fabulous. That's um, that's that's really inspiring story that you've sort of you know experienced, like you say, the circus um, classes and things for your own children, and then seeing how that could be brought into the um, lives of other children, perhaps those with disabilities or um, other difficulties, and how it can enhance their lives as well. And that's a that's a fabulous um, story to hear about how you sort of came on that journey. Um, Upon reflection, do you think there's anything, um, like any particular story in your own life perhaps that hinted that you might end up working in the non-profit space and running your own organisation? There's no business background in my life or, you know, that of my family or anything, but I have to say that it was probably the influence of my parents. Um, so I was born in Papua New Guinea where both my parents were teachers and it was back in the day when it was really the first Western-style education um, in Papua New Guinea. And a lot of the pupils were older than my parents. Um, so it wasn't like a normal teaching situation. And I guess that just really opened my eyes to difference. Um, you know, I grew up surrounded by people with black skin and that just was normal to me um 
And I, I guess that my parents just instilled this idea of acceptance of difference as a normal thing in life. And, and I've thought about that often, really, because that's where Lolly Jar is really special, is that we accept difference almost to the point of not even noticing it anymore. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's just that yeah. everyone is so welcome and happy to be there that after a while, you you just forget that they might have Down syndrome or you know they, they might have autism. They're just so and so with a name, and I yeah. think that probably was where it all started. Yeah, and that's from what I understand. That's that somehow is reflective in the name of your organisation as well, Lolly Jar Circus. Um, it really sounds fun and positive. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that name came about? Yeah, sure. I was trying to think of a symbol of what we were trying to do, what we're trying to say. And I just kept coming up with lollies because I thought, oh, they're all different shapes, just different sizes, the different colours, the different tastes. It just kind of represents the the acceptance and openness that we want to have. But I also didn't want there to be a lid on the lolly jar. So you'll notice on our logo that there is no lid and that's because what I wanted to show was that the lollies are bouncing out of the jar. You know, they come along to us, they have a good time, but they take their confidence out. They bounce out to their families, to their schools, to their workplaces, to all the other places that they go um, happily. Um, and I'm, I hope the logo captures that. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely smiled when I first visited your website and saw your logo. And like I said, even the name itself um, I didn't know too much about your organisation when I first heard of the name, but it did sound just so fun and positive and I was curious to learn more. And it obviously sounds like that's really the environment that you actually are creating there, a fun and really positive environment. And like you say, um, you know, I probably smiled when I heard the name because I do have a bit of a sweet tooth myself. So <laughs> I love I, I love a good lolly jar. Um, so, you know, so hearing about an organisation that's named after probably one of my favourite things um, is, is pretty exciting as well. But it's really, it's really quite beautiful that um, the symbolism I think that that has and, and even the way, you, you you know, you reflect back on your own childhood and, and how you were, um, you know, brought up, like you said, in, in a different culture and things like that and how that has shaped who you are um, and no doubt you have um, handed those values and, um, and beliefs onto your own children and now you're working in such a place that is really about, you know, just letting those differences really just melt away when the people are yeah. all together. Yeah, which is beautiful. I have to I think... say about the lolly jar, though, that it did get me in a little bit of strife right at the beginning when the first participants walked in the door and said, "Where are the lollies?" But... And, you, and, you, and you didn't have any lollies. <laughs> no, I, I had to kind of say, "You're the lollies." <laughs> anyway, that that's passed. <laughs> do um do they get any lollies at the end of a class? No, well, because a lot of them are not allowed to have them because e, of yes. their special diets that they're on. Yeah, Yeah, that's a a very occasional special treat. Yes. Um, That's probably 
Yes, and in, in, in terms of, um, you know, teaching children and young people about health and nutrition and stuff, that's probably a, that's probably a good um, a good path to go down. But it's good to explain them. And do do when kids first come along to the classes, do you talk to them about the name and, and what that means and, and the symbolism of all of that? Or is that sort of just left on the shelf and not really openly discussed in classes? I think the parents are aware of that, but um, with the young people, it's just all about the activities. I think, you know, it's just there in the atmosphere. It's not something you need to explain. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you mentioned a little bit about obviously what, you you know, what the organisation is doing. Obviously, it's doing circus classes and things for um, young people, but can you tell us a little bit more about the work of Lolly Jar Circus and and the people in the community that um, actually come along and benefit from the classes? Sure. So we say we're for young people, which is defined as up to 26, and our regular weekly classes, um, we stick to those age groups, but um, we also do outreach in the community that can be for any age. But our main work is our regular weekly class and we have young people attending who have Down syndrome, autism, cerebral palsy, muscular difficulties, all, all sorts of conditions. But it's inclusive. It's not a disability body. It's an arts body that's inclusive. And so we also have young people who don't have any physical or intellectual issues and sometimes their siblings. Sometimes it's the only thing, the only activity that, siblings can do when one has a disability and the other one doesn't and they can enjoy it together and and the sort of activities we're doing with them are um, tumbling, stilt walking, aerial work, uh, hula hooping, juggling, just so many fun things, plate spinning, that's my favourite because it's the only thing I can do myself (laughs) Um, and it took me a very long time so I'm a very good teacher of that one. But, um, yeah, the activities are just so much fun. And obviously when we're working with all of these different um, conditions, we take those into account. So nobody has the same path. Um, We have to be careful with people who have muscular issues to make sure that they really warm up and stretch carefully and don't overextend themselves and we have to be careful of neck problems and and all those sort of things but we are and then people just progress at their own rate um, depending on what they like to do the most really and and we've had some just astounding things like people just hopping up on really high stilts and walking off like they've been walking on them for their entire lives (laughs) and it just blows you away and last year or maybe it was the year before we we got some aerial equipment which has really made a a difference because it's so exciting for people to, you know, get up and hang upside down and just be free and creative and they, they just love the aerial equipment. Um, and I think that a, a lot of people are just raring to go but some are quite scared of it mm. and that's one of the things that we we work on is facing fears because the more you do something, the easier it gets and that's yeah. a really good skill to take wherever they go I always say absolutely it's a great lesson for anyone to learn um about that you know that you know face your fear and do it anyway sort of thing yeah um so when you talk about the aerial stuff just out of curiosity if if there's a young person that has a physical disability are, are there ways that they can still participate in such an activity like that where they do feel a sense of freedom that perhaps they don't feel 
when they're on the ground, so to speak? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the trainers are very um, hands-on and so if they need um, support to get up or to stay up while they're there, um, they they get that and they get lots and lots of encouragement and, of course, there's a huge crash mat underneath, mm-hmm. so that makes them feel secure. But, yes, um, in fact, you know, it brings tears to my eyes sometimes that we have people who struggle to walk but they get up on that equipment and they look like ballerinas, you know, yeah. they're so yeah. elegant and beautiful. It's just beautiful yeah. yeah that is quite that's a remarkable quite remarkable and you talked about um your staff that you have there so and and sorry you also mentioned um you were quite specific about saying you're, you're an arts body not a disability organization or a provider you're an arts body that's inclusive which is a is a um positive way to look at uh, at that inclusive element of it um so the people that you have working for you, um, how, like, what's their backgrounds? Are they arts people or are they disability workers or how does it all sort of come together? Yeah, we've got a bit of everything, really. So we've got um, circus trainers who we share with circuits often, the other body that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. So um, mainly you learn circus on the job as you go, sort of start as a child and, and um, just keep learning as you grow, but there are also courses that you can do to become a circus trainer. Mm-hmm. And we also have gymnastics um, experts and we have people who have worked in disability who come to us and we train them in the circus side of things. So yeah. They're absolutely invaluable because they have the communication skills and the they lead us in lots of ways. For example, I guess in the beginning I was thinking that we would mainly have participants with physical disabilities, but in fact we've been really, really popular with young people with autism Mm -hmm. and we have trainers who have studied autism extensively and they help us with our language and with the way that we communicate with the participants and it's it's really really important it might seem silly or funny in some ways but uh i'll give you an example you know we had a a young lady and one of the trainers said uh let's roll on the ground like a piece of spaghetti but i want you to be uncooked spaghetti i don't want you to be wobbly cooked spaghetti and this was in the very early days and this young girl sadly went screaming out of the classroom um, because she thought we were going to cook her and to you and I who don't have autism that just doesn't make sense but um, it made us realize that every word we say has to be chosen very carefully so we don't use imagery or metaphor we teach by saying put your hand here put your knee there and by demonstrating and by repeating and um, just starting again every time if we have to. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, having those trainers who've helped us with those aspects has been absolutely fantastic. 
Yeah, that is fantastic. And you're right, I think it's it's a bit about learning to work with your target group. And like you said, initially you thought it would be mostly participants with physical disabilities, but that has not been the way it's obviously gone. So then you've got to learn um, about your target um, group and how you can best work with them in all different in all different sort of ways, which is fabulous. Mm. Um, do you have any um, examples of, you know, some really great outcomes of some of the changes that have that have helped um, the young people? Because I'm assuming, you know, like you said, they they're learning confidence, they're learning skills, obviously. But I think through learning those skills, it's about gaining confidence and believing in themselves and all of those sorts of other um, intangible skills, I guess, but they can be really beneficial to us in our own lives. So do you have any little examples of um, some young people um, that have been helped in those ways? Yes, and and you're absolutely right. We're not about, you know, becoming Cirque du Soleil. We're just um, about those sort of benefits. So, yeah, we have uh, a young boy with cerebral palsy who grew strong enough to carry his own school bag into school and hang it up, which was just, you know, (laughs) a really big step. We have another um, teenage boy with autism who didn't have enough core strength to sit on the school uh, assembly floor like all the other kids and had to sit in a special chair and uh, his core strength enough that he was able to sit with everybody else which wow. socially obviously yeah. a yeah. much better thing to have yeah and, the, and the, those two examples they're quite simple things like to be able to carry your school bag and to be able to sit on the floor with the other kids they are very simple almost you don't even think they're really an issue you know but when you think about the individual being able to carry your school bag and not have to have mum carry it to class for you every day gives you that level of independence um you know in that way which I can imagine would do wonders for the child and again having to sit on a chair when everyone else is sitting on the floor you're going to be the one that stands out all the time whereas now if he's able to sit on the floor he's just one of the gang one of the one of the other lollies in the jar that no one else is up you know that no one else is necessarily noticing uh at the school assembly or whatever it may be so they sometimes these are the things that do seem quite little but in in essence they are a huge thing for these um for the young people that have you know, um, a disability or, or some impairment that, you know, because like you say, really it's about getting them to do the best that they can do um, in whatever that is that they're doing, not about becoming the world's greatest circus performers. It's about yeah. in their own, you know, lives so that they can carry their own bag to school and all that sort of stuff. That's, yeah, that's wonderful. Um, yeah, obviously I you've got yeah. some, yeah, go Sorry. on, Sarah. Um The other thing I guess is the, the making of friendships. Um yes. And, you know, right in the beginning when we were starting off and we didn't have very many participants, I had the idea of having a bring a friend day and I prepared some pamphlets and I handed out two uh, to the first two mums and they both burst into tears and said that I have any friends. So I quickly hid those away and abandoned that idea. But um, what has happened just generically really is that um, – People have made friends through the classes and they meet up outside. So the, the mums, nothing to do really with Lolly Jar Circus, the mums and dads 
have made friends and get together on weekends. So yeah. there's a little spin-off community, which which I love. I think that's yeah, and that would be really supportive. I know, um, you know, when I've worked with other organisations that, you know, um, where a young person or a child has a health even if it's a health issue not necessarily a disability um sometimes that can be quite isolating for families so to be able yeah. to connect with others and support each other you know and have someone even if it's not exactly the same issue th- they have got an issue that then you can feel you know you can have a whinge together or you can um you know laugh at the silly things that other people probably wouldn't laugh at um you know about the challenges that you have in your life I think that's really yeah that's so it's like an added bonus that you've got out of um you know that social connection for the young people but also for their caregivers families and parents and things that's that's lovely really good so you've obviously got lots of um inspirational you know outcomes that are happening regularly I'm sure these sorts of things you're seeing weekly with the young people um is that what motivates you to keep doing what you do every day or, or what is it that motivates you to, to continue to do what you do? Because I'm sure, um, you know, like you said, you don't have an office, you have a laptop, you work from home. So I guess for you personally, it can probably be isolating sometimes as I know when I've spoken to other people working in small charities, often we work by ourselves um, a lot of the time. So what motivates you to keep doing what you do? Oh, it's definitely going to the classes. I mean, um, strictly speaking, as the CEO, I don't need to go. Um, we've got great trainers and I know they're in good hands at the classes, but uh, if I'm feeling a bit cranky uh, and go and watch one of the classes within about two minutes, I'm okay again <laughs> because it's just, I don't know, I just walk in the door and I see hula hoots spinning and I see balls flying and kids up in the air and I just think wow it just doesn't get any better than that it's just activity it's color it's there's a lot of glitter you know spinning yeah. and, and everyone's laughing and yeah it, it's a tonic for sure yeah why would you not want to be in the lolly jar every week <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> um I think that I think that's really lovely, and and that's something that I will often talk to uh, fundraisers or people working in nonprofits about when I do different trainings and workshops. Um, is that you do need to stay, you know, as someone working for the organisation, you need to stay really connected to the cause because sometimes we can become so. Um, you know, overwhelmed or busy or whatever, you know, word you choose to use there and focused on, you know, the budgets or doing the fundraising or getting this PR piece happening or talking to this sponsor that where we can be a little bit removed sometimes from the from the actual work that we're doing. And, and depending on your organisation, obviously, it's not always possible um, to connect exactly with what you're doing. But um, you know, I know for organisations that work in international development, obviously you can't just nick across and see the work every week. But, <laughs> but you know, I think it's really important. I used to work in a youth organisation many years ago and we were in a building next to where the young people were and I could go a whole week if I wanted to without seeing a young person. But sometimes you've got to bring it back and go, well, we need to be reminded of what we're actually doing this for, what's the purpose behind, you know, the work that we do. So I think that's 
I think that's really good that you're able to do that. And even if it's not every week and every class, at least if you're getting across there regularly, um, that's that's fabulous. How many classes? So you said you started with a couple of classes in a church. How many classes each week are you doing now? Gosh, uh, I think it's two on Monday, two on Tuesday, three on no, four. I, I think we're up to about 13 or 14 now. Yeah. So, wow. Uh, in two different venues. So Fabulous. we have um, three days in North Adelaide and then another day at Smithfield Plains, which yes, is right. Elizabeth that people probably know that name. Yeah. Yeah. So for people outside of Adelaide or South Australia, that that is obviously geographically covering two different parts of Adelaide. Is that correct? Yes. So we used to have more venues really, but we were spread a bit thin in terms of trainers. So uh, we've got the opportunity to, to hire this amazing hall that we can have three days a week. And it's kind of central to people from all different areas in in the main um, metropolitan area of um, Adelaide and its outskirts. But then Elizabeth is oh, nearly an hour out to the north and that is um, in general a fairly low socioeconomic area and it's really important um, to us that we maintain that class because we're doing really good work with some really special young people out there. Yeah, fabulous. That's fabulous. So um, Lolly Jar Circus is heading into its seventh year this year. Um, what are some of the key challenges you've had um, as a growing organisation, um, you know, albeit but still a little mouse that roars, um, and and what are some of the lessons that you've learnt and, and you could share with our listeners? Uh, I think like with any small charity or not-for-profit, finances are always going to be the main <laughs> challenges. Um, we do charge our participants, but it's a very low amount um, and it doesn't cover our costs at all. Um, some of them can access the NDIS, but not very many. Um, so how we make up the difference is always our big uh, issue. And we do have some amazing philanthropic um, donors and we get some fabulous grants, but it's, it's always going to be... Um, something that we have to keep at the front of our minds because none of those things are things that you can rely on to continue. So I guess finances are always going to be the key problems yeah. and challenges. Yeah. But, but um, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, initially or for, for someone looking in from the outside, you'd think it would be issues around the participants really because, you know, when I – started it up and I went to get insurance they went you serious like you can have young people with disabilities doing circuits but but that sort of goes really really smoothly um you know I've got an amazing safety record so that side is not a problem it's just um keeping up the the money to keep it coming is the main issue um and I think also uh, one thing we've got a big call for this year is to continue our performance program because we had a great grant to do a performance last year and um, all the participants who went to look in the audience now want to perform as well. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we need to, to work on building that up 
um, in the future as well. Yeah. So was that your first your first major performance um, that you're talking about there, the one that I read a little bit about that was called Be Amazing and Don't Eat Cheese? Yeah, that's the one. Can um, you tell us yeah. a little bit more? That sounds – obviously that would have been at the end of your six years running as an organisation, um, holding your first major performance, obviously where people are paying guests to come along and watch, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's a really – for an organisation that – I know you say you're an arts organisation, but you weren't necessarily an arts organisation that was intending to do performances and things, I, I imagine. That was not the goal. Like you said, we're not training, um, you know, for world-class circus performers. That was not necessarily your original goal. So that's a fabulous success um, story to be able to say that you actually got to that place where you were funded to do a, a major performance. So can you tell us a little bit about that experience? And I'm personally curious about why you're telling people not to eat the cheese because aside from lollies, <laughs> I love the cheese. <laughs> I think we all do too, so I'll do that first. So the star of our show, the person who had the main role, was a, a teenage girl called Rachel, who is the funniest person I have ever met in my life. <laughs> she is absolutely hilarious. One day she came up to me and she said, did you know there's a place that's a hoop school? And I said, no. And she said, yeah, it's where you can send naughty hula hoops to be trained. You, you drop them off for a week. And by the end of the week, they're behaving well. And the best part about it is it only costs $2 and I'm the trainer. <laughs> so we had this um, little practice performance um, before the actual big one where we just did a couple of acts for a disability body. And Rachel was leaning against the side of the wall looking a little bit worried. And I said, what are you worried about? And she said, oh, I just don't know what to do. And I said, well, just do what you always do. And she said, be amazing and don't eat cheese. And I just thought, oh, gosh, you're so funny. That has to be the name of the show. And um, I asked her later, what's the don't eat cheese bit about? And she said, well, if you're nervous and you're going to do circus stuff and you're going to be upside down, you don't want cheese in your tummy. So that's where it came from. But we we just left that. We just left people wondering about yeah. that. Um, but, yeah, the grant came from Arts SA through Kaklu and the reason that the grant looked so attractive to me was that it was all focused on the young people uh, building up their own performance so it was really participant focused and um, it was a lot of money it was twenty thousand dollars so that covered a, a whole year of classes building up towards it as well as the actual performance and our head trainer John I worked for a very long time on building up things like teamwork and, and strength before we got anywhere near working on the acts and that's because it was open to everybody. It wasn't a thing that you had to audition for. It wasn't exclusive in any way. Anyone who wanted to do it could do it. So it meant that he had a range of ages from 5 to 18, I think it was, and a range of skills and a range of abilities, but also things to cope with. Like it was on a Friday afternoon and two of the five-year-olds had just started school so they were absolutely exhausted by the time they got there yeah. and so uh, you know he, he had to have a lot of other skills other than just teaching circus and um, 
you know, getting them involved, keeping them focused. Um, but it, it was fantastic and they bonded together really well. And at the end, after the performance, they all said, oh, we want to do this again. We have to do this again. Um, but the, the performance was fabulous. It was about a young girl who couldn't find her place, which is pretty representative yeah. of some yeah. of our participants, many of yeah. them really. And um, the other participants would be, or performers would be, using a certain piece of equipment or displaying a certain skill like hula hoop and she'd move up to them and kind of try to edge into the group and be rejected and she went from one thing to the other and eventually found her thing which was the aerial equipment and she was hanging from a hoop and gradually as she went from group to group people would kind of soften and then towards the end when she was on the aerial equipment, a girl came across to her and joined her and they did a duo act together. And I swear, no matter how many times I saw it, I cried every time. Um, <laughs> it was just beautiful. And then then there was a really uplifting end where everyone was all lived together doing everything and having a fabulous time, lots of happy music and, um, you know, just activity all over the stage and, and down through the centre of the audience as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was very uplifting. Yeah, what a fabulous, um, what a fabulous experience, not just for the performers, but the other participants that came along to watch, but for everybody, you know, in the crowd. I'm a, I'm a bit of a, um, theatre type lover myself, um, and you know, different shows and things like that. And and while I don't often like it when they like to call someone up to the show <laughs> to be part of the show, that makes me a little nervous sometimes, even though I've done you know as a kid I was dancing and all those sorts of things so I'm not necessarily completely shy to be on the stage but but um but I do love it when a show somehow interacts with the audience you know in some way whether it is by just walking through the aisles in a particular part or you know different things like that I think that really um you know and I think from from where I sit that also sounds like you're again doing um you know sharing that message of inclusivity so it's not just about the performers on the stage it's about everybody that was at the performance getting involved in in whatever way that is even if it is from their seats you know and enjoying experience it sounds beautiful yeah, and we had one chap who was absolutely hilarious. He just loved being on the stage and <laughs> he um, every time he came on during the actual performance, he'd wave and every time he left, he'd wave and, you know, sort of step out of character. But, you know, no one cared. That's kind of what we're about. So yeah. that was just an added bonus really. Yeah, <laughs> that's fabulous. That is so great. So what's next for Lolly Jar Circus? Um, what's next as you – you know, as you continue um, the fabulous work that you're doing? What's next for you guys? I think um, aside from becoming more financially stable and setting up the a more permanent performance stream, I think that we want to reach further and further. So as I said, you know, in the beginning we thought we'd be mainly dealing with people with um, physical disabilities and and we do have them of course but we have a lot with autism but other things that have happened are that we've reached into communities where children and young people have been abused and mm-hmm. are fostered or in state care and and that that's a growing cohort um, and I love that uh, 
they're having an hour a week when they're just laughing and forgetting about everything else. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think we just keep um, keep just reaching out and and finding as many people to join as we can and just give them a good time. I think, you know, last year with Be Amazing, Don't Eat Cheese was an absolute highlight and um, has given us a bit of a spur on to just expand and, and do as much as we can in the future. At, at the moment, no real major target, but just keep yeah. doing what we're doing and do it well. Yeah, fabulous. Fabulous. Um, thank you so much for your time, Judy. It's been um, such a pleasure to speak with you, learn about the amazing work that you're doing. I know yourself, you've, um, you know, you've received a few different awards along the journey as well for the work that you're doing in the community. So congratulations on, on those on a personal note, but the work that you are doing is so, is so wonderful and it's so happy and so vibrant and, um, so uplifting and positive just you know even this um, conversation with you I've been smiling and laughing a lot um, which is you know I feel like that's the essence of what Lolly Jar Circus is about so um, that has really come across to me um, so how can people learn more about what um, what you do or follow your journey can they reach you on social media or what's the best way to um, to for them to follow your stories yeah, absolutely. We've got a website and we've got Facebook. Uh, I'm a bit of an old dinosaur, so that's that's <laughs> it. But the Facebook is um, kept very up to date with um, photos of, of what's happening in the classes and stories of where we're going and what we're doing. Great. Yeah, well, we'll um, we'll definitely share that with our listeners um, through our social media as well. So once again, thank you so much for your time, Judy. I really appreciate it, um, and congratulations on all the great work that you're doing. You're doing at Lolly Jar Circus. Um, I know uh, everyone listening would have been really excited to hear some of those stories and some of those outcomes. So thanks. Thank you very much. No worries. Um, and that wraps up another one of our Small But Mighty podcasts. So thanks, everyone, for listening. 